Not only is God the loving and gracious God that Paul has described, but he's also the God that has the ability and the power to bring those things about for certain. So as we turn to this passage, the first thing for us to notice, I think, is once again the pronouns. We've talked about the pronouns before, but it's helpful to remind ourselves that the pronouns mean something, particularly in this passage. Paul began with all these first-person plural pronouns, talking about us and our choosing and our predestination. We talked about how Paul in that context is talking about, as Paul says, we being the first to believe upon Jesus. So Paul begins by enumerating these blessings that are his and also his fellow believing Jews in Christ as they were the first to believe in Christ. But then the staggering thing comes in verse 12 and verse 13 when the pronouns then change from we and ours and us to you. And then Paul says, and you too, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed upon him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So in that short little exchange right there where Paul changed to second person pronouns, he then included into the group of people that he's talking about believing Gentiles, the ones whom he's writing to, as well as the others who would receive this circular letter, as well as us today. So he then began from that point to include into this group of incredibly blessed people the Gentile believers in Christ. And this is now our inheritance. This is now our family. And so from that point on, Paul has been just enamored. He has been incredibly moved in his spirit as he thinks about the grafting in of the Gentile believers into true Israel. This is something that's really difficult for us to grasp the stunning fact that the Gentiles are grafted into true Israel. It's hard for us to grasp that because we live in a culture in which we are, I think, probably all Gentile believers. And we have been surrounded by mostly Gentile believers our whole life. In fact, it's been a couple of millennia now that the church has been majority Gentile believers. Only a small portion of the worldwide believing church would be Jewish in ethnicity. And so for us, this idea that Gentiles can be saved in Christ is something that's hard for us to be stunned by. But for Paul, it was absolutely staggering that these Gentiles are now grafted into true Israel as part of God's people. So he expresses this stunning reality. You too, when you believed, were grafted into true Israel. You are sealed with the same guarantee of the same promise of the same inheritance that is ours. And we see this show up once again here in the passage before us. And you too, this inheritance, this immeasurable greatness of the power toward us who believe. Paul's including the Gentile believers in this staggering reality that he wants to turn to now. So being reminded of the pronoun importance here, let's now take a look at how Paul is going to walk us through the next few phrases. And the way that I'm going to approach it is the best way I could figure. And and that's just by looking at five Five things, I think, that Paul wants us to see concerning the power of God. Five incredible truths concerning the power of God that Paul wants us to see in this passage. So once again, our passage is before us from verse 19. And what is, he prays that you may know, what is the 
immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ. Now, that is a mouthful of words, and it's a mountain of spiritual concepts. And you may even recognize there's a bit of awkwardness, there's a bit of clumsiness in the wording here. And the reason it's a little bit awkward and wordy and clumsy is because that's the way it is in the original Greek. Paul is piling up a number of descriptive words in order to communicate a point that he wants the readers to firmly grasp. So the first thing that we see here is that Paul is greatly concerned with impressing upon his readers the idea of the greatness of God's power. That seems to be Paul's central goal in this section here from this point to the end of the chapter is to impress upon his readers something of the magnitude of the greatness of the power of God that is working toward them. And so as he begins here, we see that he begins with the phrase, the immeasurable greatness, and then he talks about power, working toward us who believe. Then he speaks about according to the working of his great might. And then once again, that he worked in Christ. So as he's piling up these words here, he's using a number of different words to describe power, greatness, and workings. And I don't think that he wants his readers to sit aside and say, well, here's the exact meaning of that word, and here's this word, and here's this word. And so this is, Paul's telling us these different aspects, or these different concepts of the power of God. I don't think Paul intends that here. Rather, instead, I think that he is just simply piling up word upon word in an effort to just impress or to communicate the magnitude of the greatness of the power of which he is speaking. We often do the same kind of thing. We'll sort of pile up words on top of each other that, that mean close to the same thing. And our goal is to just really impress somebody with the topic that we're trying to communicate. For example, if you were to say, what did you think of the game last night? And I would say, well, the game, oh, it was great. It was, it was exciting. It, it was tense. It, it was a nail biter then you wouldn't think that I intended you to, to think, okay, well, exciting, exciting means this, and then, well, nail-biter, nail-biter intention, they sort of mean the same thing, but they're a little bit different. You wouldn't think that. You would, you would see what I was saying to you as just me putting three words together that all mean close to the same thing in order to communicate to you the magnitude of the excitement of the game or the tension of the game. I think that's more or less what Paul is doing here. He's trying to communicate a, a concept, a truth, that is bigger than words. And in order to try to communicate the magnitude of the power that he's speaking of, he piles up these words on top of one another. So that's the main thing that we would see is Paul's desire to impress upon the Ephesian believers this understanding of the greatness of the power of Christ working towards those who believe. Now, I don't think that he means us to make these sharp distinctions between the meanings of each word. But at the same time, he is writing inspired scripture under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is a skilled communicator. So while we shouldn't take, I don't think, a lot of time, I think it is helpful to just look at the words, the scope of the words that he uses to, in his mind, give a full understanding or at least a fuller understanding to the magnitude of the power of which he is trying to communicate. I think as we do that, we'll just take just a brief overview of what these words, sort of the nuances that they fit, and then we can understand that by putting all these together, Paul is really trying to communicate an idea of a power that is truly great, is truly surpassing, truly above all. 
So the first word is the word that we would see translated in our ESV from which I'm reading, the immeasurable. What is the immeasurable? Now that word is more precisely translated surpassing. It means something that exceeds everything else of similar type. It it would be something that's head and shoulders above everything, the surpassing. So first of all, the surpassing, and the next word is greatness. The surpassing greatness, that just means magnitude, immensity of magnitude, just an incredible capacity of size and largeness, of, of greatness and height. And so the surpassing magnitude, the surpassing height, Next, he says, the immeasurable greatness of his power. Now, that word power, that's the standard word that we see often in the New Testament for power. It's the word we get our word dynamite from. It just means a capability or an ability that someone would possess. If you possess a power, then you possess the ability or the capacity. So the immeasurable greatness of his power, according to, and here's where it gets really interesting, the working of his great might that he worked in Christ. So we can see even in the English, there's working there twice. And then there's that phrase translated great might. That comes from one word. That word means power. Now, in the Greek language, we have more than one word for power. This distinguished between a power in terms of a power at rest or a capacity at rest or an ability that is at rest compared to a power that's at work. In the English, there is no distinction between the two. We would call both of them power or powerful. But in the Greek, there's a distinction that can be made between a power that is not working and a power that is working. So the power that is not working or the power that's at rest or the ability that's not being utilized at the moment is what's translated great might. Then the power that is at work or the power that's operating or operational is what we see is translated as working. Good translation there. And Paul uses that twice. Now that word working, that's the word that we get our word energy from. And in the scriptures, it's a word that's used often and it always describes supernatural working. It never describes human working. It describes God's working. One, one time in Thessalonians, it describes Satan's working. But it always describes supernatural, spiritual working. It describes a power that is at work. And so Paul puts together these two words, both of which mean power, but one means power that's not being exercised or power that's at rest. And the other two mean power that is operating or power that is working. So the best way that I can draw a word picture of the distinction between these two and how when they're put together, the fullness of meaning that it gives us, the best word picture that I can give you is a couple. The first one I thought of was the image of a bodybuilder. So picture in your mind a bodybuilder who's worked for years and years to to sculpt this body. It's the sculpting of these oversized muscles for the purpose of putting them on display. Not for the purpose of lifting something or moving something, but for the purpose of putting them on display. And so imagine what the bodybuilder looks like who's on the stage and he's flexing all the muscles, and you see all the, the shape and the size and the ripples and all the muscles, but they're not doing anything. They're not lifting anything. There's great power there. There's great strength there. But it's not strength that's moving something or lifting something or accomplishing something. It's just power to see. Now compare that to the same man who is chopping firewood 
or maybe lifting a couple of five-gallon buckets of water, or maybe pushing a stalled car, or something like that. Same muscles, same power. Now they're moving something. Now they're being utilized to change something, to lift something, to break something. So that puts a good picture in our mind of the difference between his great might, which would be power that's there to be seen, compared to his working in Christ, which is power at operation, which is muscles lifting and changing and breaking and moving. So that's one image that I thought of. Another is the image of a a steam locomotive. Have you ever stood beside a steam locomotive, maybe in a museum, and the thing that impresses you is the size of the thing? Pictures don't do them justice, especially late steam locomotives of the 40s and 50s. They were massive, massive machines. And you stand beside these machines in the museum, and you can clearly perceive, you might not know the horsepower, but you can clearly perceive that is capable of some powerful moving. But then compare that to standing beside the railroad tracks. Who's ever stood beside railroad tracks when a train went by? When you stand beside the tracks and a train goes by, that is a powerful feeling, is it not? There's the moving of the air. There's the pulsing. There's the ground that's shaking. You can even see the tracks bend underneath each individual wheel. That's a powerful thing. Now, imagine standing beside that track when that same steam engine is pulling a mile-long train up a grade and the sounds and the steam coming out and the vibrations on the ground. When you saw that locomotive in the museum, you knew you were looking at something powerful. When you stood beside the tracks, you experienced something that was powerful. That's the difference that I think Paul is getting at, the difference between his great might, his great ability, his great capacity, and his great and powerful working to actually move that mile-long train up that mountain grade. And so these are just some of the words that Paul puts together here. If we were to try to translate this word for word, my best attempt would be something like this, that we might know the surpassing, exceeding magnitude of the capabilities, the influential capabilities, the supernatural capabilities that are operationally at work toward those who believe in order to bring about through the working, the operating power of this God, the great capacity, the great ability to bring us into our final completed salvation. That that would be just an attempt at giving something that's more word for word and literal. You can see how our translations deviate from that because that's so wordy and it's so clumsy and so awkward. And the reason it is, again, is because Paul wrote it that way because he is trying to communicate something that needs a lot of words to get across and he's just putting them all together. But his goal was to impress upon the readers I'm talking about a power that is immense and great and incomparable. Now, why would Paul go here? Why does Paul want to change his focus now from the graces of God now to the power of God? 
I think there's two good reasons why Paul wants to now talk about the power of God. Number one would be this. Let's remember who Paul is writing to. Paul is writing to, remember how we talked about this is a circular letter, and it was intended for these largely Gentile churches in this area of, of what we what would have called Asia. So as Paul's writing to these Gentile churches, we know something about the culture of these Gentile areas. And we know a lot about the culture of Ephesus. And we talked about this at the beginning, but it's helpful now to remind ourselves of what the culture in Ephesus was like. Remember, we talked about Diana, the temple of Diana, that Ephesus was all about the temple of Diana. We talked about how people in in Ephesus started believing upon the Lord. And when they started doing this and they had this big bonfire, they brought all these books of magic and the occult and dark forces and all these occult writings and they brought them. They had this big bonfire. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 19 that that the value of those books that they burned was 50,000 pieces of silver. And then right after that we're told about this riot that took place when all the the makers of the idols and the the keepers of the temple of Diana, everybody started getting real concerned as the gospel grew and people stopped buying so many idols and they stirred up the people and there was this big riot. Remember all that? And one of the things that we learned from that was that the first century world was very much into dark magic and the occult and witchcraft. Anyway, Ephesus in particular seemed to be covered up in the dark forces of the demonic. Now, people that are consumed with that sort of thing, there's one thing in common, and that is this. They share a tremendous fear of hostile spiritual forces. And so probably Paul is trying to give them some assurance because he's writing to a group of Christians that are coming from a background in which they were tremendously fearful of hostile supernatural forces. We would call them the the demonic. But they came out of a background in which they recognized them and even worshipped them. And they brought with them probably some remaining fear and concern that we no longer worship Diana, we no longer worship all these forces of darkness, but we're a little bit worried because now they don't really like us too much. So Paul is trying to give them some assurance that the God whom they now worship is powerful above all supernatural powers. He's powerful far exceeding above all other forces. So that's one reason. The other reason that I think that Paul turns to this topic now of God's power is this. Paul, as we said earlier, has talked about nothing but grace up until this point. The grace of our adoption, the grace of our election, the grace of our predestination, the grace of our redemption, the grace of our forgiveness, the grace of our inheritance, the grace of our being sealed with the guarantee of our inheritance, the grace of His illumining work in our, in our hearts. Grace, 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 grace. Blessing, blessing, blessing. He started out by saying, in Christ we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So he's emphasized these blessings and these graces and these privileges that are ours in Christ. However, the most gracious, loving, and compassionate God in the world who lacks the power to bring those graces about is at best a frustrating God. So in order for the Ephesians to truly grasp the point that Paul is making, they not only have to see just how compassionate and gracious and loving 
that God is and what God has done to set aside this inheritance for them and to adopt them and choose them and all these things. Not only do they need to see that, but they need to see that He has the power to bring all these things about. Do you know what it's like to be the object of someone's compassion who doesn't have the, the, the power to bring that compassion about? Or maybe you are the compassionate one. We've all been in those situations. When yourself or maybe a loved one or a friend comes to you or you come to somebody and you just, you've got this situation and it just, you don't know what to do and, and you need help and you ask some advice and, and, and you hear words like this, if I could make this go away, I would. If I could fix this, I would. But I can't. Or maybe you're the one that, that would say to the loved one, if I could make that right, I would. But you come face to face with your lack of power to bring about the grace that your compassion would have you to offer. Now, if that were our God, then we would be up against a wall when we come to verse 19. If God were this God of incredible grace and love and compassion, but yet He lacked the power and the ability to bring all that about, then the best we have are hopes and wishes and desires that the God who has promised these things, maybe He's able to work them out. And so it's crucially important that Paul's readers understand that not only is God the loving and gracious God that Paul has described, but He's also the God that has the ability and the power to bring those things about for certain, so that the Ephesians don't have to wonder, are all these incredible things just, is this just God overpromising Himself? Is this just what God would hope He can bring about? And maybe He can accomplish a lot of this, but maybe not. And so Paul wants to impress upon them not only the grace of God, but the power of God to bring that about fully and completely. Look at what Paul's going to say a little bit later in chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask for or think, according to the power at work within us. And so I think Paul wants us to see that he understands that a benevolent, loving God without the power to bring that about is frustrating and ultimately not worthy of our worship, but not our God. Our God not only promises us this great blessed hope, but He is one who has the power and the ability to bring that about. 